0: I just want to do a quick reminder, because there are reports of snow in the next week or so. Um, So I just want to remind you to watch the Bellevue School District, um, their schedule, if they're closed, we're canceled, if they're two hours late, we're canceled. Okay, so closed, canceled, two hours late, canceled, Bellevue School District. That's our standard. So just keep your, uh, your eyes out on that. If there's snow on the ground or reports of snow or anything like that, um, to just keep your eyes out. Look for Bellevue School District, got it? Questions? No questions, okay. Yes? Next week. Next week is scheduled Eastside Academy. And I, I, yes, and Sandy has told the t- table leaders, or will tell the table leaders who are in charge, right? Yes. Okay. So, because Sandy's awesome. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray and get started. Lord Jesus, you are here. We are grateful that you work through um, all technical difficulties, and that you have given us ingenuity and resourcefulness and rampants to help us um, get through um, our technical issues this morning. And we know that you are going to speak because when stuff happens, that's um, the devil trying to make sure we can't speak. So we know that you have something to say today. And I pray that your voice will be heard clearly by each woman here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When my son was younger, I spent what seemed like every waking moment of his elementary school years meeting with teachers, with administrators, with
1: doctors, with
0: counselors, with Sunday school teachers, with pretty much everyone that we met to give my son a chance. He didn't fit their mold and he didn't care that he didn't fit their mold. So they frequently dis- dismissed him as a pro- problem child. I was told all sorts of things were wrong with him, um, which were not, and I knew they were not. Um, but I fought that system for years, trying to get him an education that he that would encourage him to use the gifting that he was given, and not like put him down. I spent hour upon hour in classrooms, in schools, in everywhere, um, advocating for change, in, even in the district. I was his voice to people who weren't listening to him. And that's the sense of the advocate that we have here with Amos today in our story. We have seen throughout the prophetic literature, and it's here in Amos too, that that the advocate is like the the defense attorney, right? That the advocate is the one who is speaking on behalf of the other, and that's the same thing that's going on here. Amos, as we, we maybe remember, is really concerned about justice. Remember, Last time when Christians taught, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is God's message to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, right? This is God's message to the people of Israel at the time of Amos. It is all about justice. Being just, being righteous, treating people fairly. And all that this section of Amos begins with four visions of destruction we don't have any reference to tell us um, when these happened uh, what time frame but some scholars suggest that it was probably near the beginning of his ministry because Amos was from Judah He, he came from the southern kingdom and he was sent into the northern kingdom on God's magic mission. So the one thing I want you to pay attention to is the kind of the sounds as you're reading through this, these three chapters, chapters. Um, pay pay attention to the sounds and the, the imagery because they are very, very vivid in this section. The first vision is of locusts. This is actually a grasshopper, but close enough. Um, locusts are destroying everything in this vision, and the point of this vision is to say the locusts destroy the crops, so God will destroy Israel. And this is a, a picture. If you've ever, if you have read about a, a locust infestation, especially in that time, that they would just, they would literally make, create famine because they would destroy all of the crops for the people and the animals. There was nothing left. There's a a story that I read um, that has been suggested, that there's not enough evidence to really support this, but that there was, there were two grain harvests, and the first one was given to the king. So the whole grain harvest of the the first one was given to the king, and the second harvest would be what fed the people and the animals, okay? And it's the second one that they think was the one that would be destroyed. So they have already given, um, if that's true, uh, they have already given over so much of their crops um, to the king and they're waiting for this next crop and the next crop is destroyed by locusts. That's the the complete and utter devastation that we're talking about. This image, or this vision, Amos intercedes for the people. He says, they're so small. They're small people. Um, and God relents. The structure of the first pair of visions is identical. Um, and then the structure of the second pair is very similar to each other. And I want you to notice in this one, as you're reading through this vision, um, the, the sound of the whirring of the locust me. That's a very, very um, graphic image of the the whirring of the wings being so intense. Okay, next one. The vision of the fire destroyed the great deep and the land. God will destroy Israel just as fire destroys everything in its path. And again, Amos intercedes and God relents. And in this vision, you can hear the crackling of the fire in the way that, that Amos is teaching this, saying this vision. Now, this is our vocabulary word of the day, <laughs> okay? Um, this is for a day. Paranomasia um, is uh, a word that was used in one of the, uh, the descriptions of the, for the next vision. And I was reading it, and I was like, "Oh, wow!" So I'm not quite following this scholar's particular argument. Um, I don't quite get where he's going, and and so he uses this word, paranomasia. So I think I'm thinking that must be a special, um, spe- very specific um, construction that will make that means something. So I look it up. It means a, a pun. Okay. So, so, yes, as my husband said, he's like, so that P A R, this is how I'm reading it. P A R is pronounced pa, and Nomasia is pronounced <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our geeky world in our home. So, Paranomasia, and I'm uh, pronouncing that right, Debbie, according to the pronunciation. Like, I, I did listen to it to make sure. <laughs> So we have a a set of paramedesias going on here um, or a set of puns. This first one um, is the word tin. So in in your Bibles, most Bibles actually pronounce the word tin um, as plumb line, which makes a lot of sense in the context and it works just fine. Um, This one author was saying it doesn't it's not completely accurate because it's really uh, this is the only place that this word is used in the Old Testament so the scholars to get plumb line they actually went to an ancient Akkadian text um, where this were a similar word so the, the this word is anak you can see the Hebrew word is anak and the Akkadian word is anaku and it meant tin or iron but it was used um, as a very specific reference to the type of tin that was held at the bottom of a, of a plumb line to measure um, if something was vertical or not. So that's, that's probably why most Bibles say plumb line, because it actually explains what they're talking about rather than um, using the actual word. But the word in, in the Hebrew is tin. Um, and so he, he, Amos uses this word in this vision. We have this word four times. And um, he says, this is what Yahweh showed me. He was standing on a tin wall, and he had some tin in his hand. Yahweh said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, tin. Yahweh said, I am going to put tin, or moaning, within my people Israel. I will no longer pass him by. So we have the word tin four times, and this is the the play on words, is that the word, the fourth time, that one, this, it sounds exactly the same, anak and anak, right, in Hebrew. The two words for tin and for moaning sound exactly the same. So that's the the paranomasia on the word tin. So he's saying, There's ten, and you're gonna be moaning. You're gonna be the sound, right? That's the sound in this one, is this moaning of the people that should be celebrating, but are no longer. And here we have another, pun, Um, and this one, um, again, God is saying um, that Israel will not escape. I will not pass them by again. And you notice that Amos was silent in the last vision, he doesn't advocate at this point, and again, Amos is silent. So we have this vision of a basket of fruit, summer fruit, um, kayets. and God puns off of that word to say the end, which is the Hebrew word kets. So you see how that that those two words sound very similar, kayets and kets. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never pass by them again. They will not escape what's coming. So at this point, we have um, the stench of death in the midst of this. We have silence from Amos. We have silence from the people who are destroyed. Now, just a reminder, we've been through this several times now. But just a reminder about the role of the prophet, because this is really important. When you're talking about visions, what do those visions actually mean? So to do justice, as we saw earlier, um, is to act as an advocate for the powerless, right? Um, So Amos is practicing what he preaches. Um, He is acting as an advocate, especially in those first two visions when he talks God down and God relents. He says, Amos is saying, they're so small. They're so such a little nation. Can't you um, give them some grace? And God says, yes. And God says, yes. And then God says, I will not relent. I will not relent. I will not pass by them again. So the vision reports are to show the credentials of the prophets. So these are direct visions. Amos is saying, God said to me, Amos was not just an angry reformer, that's what he sounds like, but he was that's not who he was. Ezekiel was not a dreamy visionary. They spoke because they had been spoken to by God. So they're not just coming up with stuff, they are speaking directly um, what God has said to them. The Lord is responsive to the weak and the insignificant. So Amos pleaded twice. He's advocating twice for the weak and insignificant. That they're so small. Israel is so small, and God relented both times. The role of the prophet was not only to share the word of God to people, but to share the people with God, to advocate for God with God for the people. So it was a two-way thing. He wasn't just pounding his, I don't know, his staff on the ground or something. Um, he wasn't just doing that. He was actually taking the words from the people back to God and saying, but, but they're so small. They need you. They are weak. They are insignificant. In the, uh, right between the, two, the final two visions, we have this really interesting little section. Um, which is a little bit biographical. It's a story. It's a narrative, um, and it's a this interlude that is the, between the priest and the prophet. It probably took place at Bethel, which was near Jerusalem. It's a, at the southern end of Israel. It was the religious center. Um, so this is the priest um, Azariah, Amaziah. Sorry, Amaziah, is the priest of the um, the kind of the highest priest in that nation. Um, This would be the temple where the King Jeroboam um, worshipped. And so there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. If you've ever been to one of the cathedrals in Egypt Egypt, (laughs) in Europe, um, where the kings have their, you know, the weddings and and all the royal events, the coronations, that sort of thing. If you've been to one of those um, cathedrals, you know that this is there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes around with being the royal place of worship right so this is the royal place of worship and amazad is charged with um, being the protector of this place um, protector of the rituals protector of everything that's taught everything that's said in this place um, and making sure that it's appropriate right and this is his argument it's like Um, send this guy away. He's arguing with Jeroboam, right? He's like, send this guy away because uh, he's not appropriate. Um, So he is charging Amos with being a traitor, and he wants to send him away, and this is just not appropriate. So he first, Amosiah comes along, and he says to, he's arguing with Jeroboam, and he's like, send him away, and he misrepresents to Jeroboam what Amos is saying. Um, he claims that Amos is saying these things, um, which we know is not fully accurate, that God is saying these things and Amos is reporting them. Um, He shares only the condemnation and not the reasons behind the condemnation. So he's like, you know what? He's saying that, that you're going to be destroyed. Your kingdom's going to be destroyed. That's traitorous, right? That's treasonous. Um, and he's not saying it's because we're not following faithfully. He's not saying that part. He's saying... Um, It's because uh, we're just, we're just going to be, he just wants us, wants you out, basically. And Amos responds, and this is a really interesting response, right? I am no prophet. So what he's saying is he's not on the royal payroll. Um, He wasn't one of the bands of roving prophets that kind of roved around and, and told people what they wanted to hear. Um, and not, he wasn't one of those religious professionals that was paid to make pious pronouncements um, at religious festivals. So he is saying, look, I'm not one of those guys. And in fact, he, he makes two sets of three statements. The first set is a threefold I, and here we have our you know, hero number three. We had to have Russell Wilson, I'm sorry, this week. Um, So we have this threefold I in this section. I am not a prophet. I am not the son of a prophet. I am a herdsman. And why does he do this? He does this because he is, again, pointing to God. He is saying, it is not in my power that I am here. It is in the Lord's power. And he follows up this threefold I with a threefold the Lord. The Lord took me. The Lord said to me, "Hear the word of the Lord, not my word, the word of the Lord." So Amaziah is trying to take the sting out of Amos's words by avoiding the, all the charges that he's placing against them, but Amos is attacking this once-a-week religion. Right, which allowed for faith to be separate from daily life. We're going to see that in a minute. Um, And propriety, so remember, Amaziah is in charge of propriety um, in the temple, determined the content of the preaching at the temple. And Amaziah is saying, This is not right. Send them away. Get rid of Amos. On a side note, my husband David told me last night that they have found an error in the New Testament. Okay, brace yourselves. Um, It turns out the number of the beast is actually 24. Go beast mode. Um, Uh (laughs) Sorry, I had to, he said (laughs) it. So I'm gonna show you a couple of scriptures where um, we have the examples of prophets being kind of prophets for hire being yes men, being um, people who who are not actually prophesying the word of the Lord, but are prophesying something out of their own motives. So this one's from 1 Kings 22. Um, we have yes men, and you see up here they say um, the same thing right here, right? Um, they're all saying the same thing. The one guy said it, so they're all like, "Yep." Yeah. Yep, that's right. That's right. Because nobody wants to stand out and say the hard words, right? But Amos is willing to say the hard words. Sansies! Okay. Um, This next one is from Jeremiah 23. Um, He says, I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. So God is making this charge against these false prophets that... They're not actually saying his what he wants them to say. They're saying, they're again, speaking out of their own motives. And they're creating false hope. So they're making things smooth when the, the point of prophecy is to shake people out of their comfort zones, right? Um, to be jarring, to, to get people to, to connect with what the words are, what God is saying, and make a change. And instead, these false prophets are giving false hope, and smoothing the way. Finally, it is from Micah 3-5. They shape their sermons according to their salaries. So you see this? They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. So this is profit-making for them, right? Profit, profit, the other profit. (laughs) Um, They're trying to make money. They're encouraging people to give them their salaries, and, and we'll give you a good prophecy, right? We'll say good things about you if you pay me enough. And if you don't pay me enough, then you're gonna get a bad prophecy and you know bad things for, are gonna to happen to you, obviously. So what is the charge that Amos is actually making in this? Um, crimes against the need. This is in chapter eight. Um, And there's this parallel in chapter two. We saw in chapter two where the crimes were the women, right? And here it's the businessmen. So we're going through um, the first oracle and then the last kind of uh, condemnatory oracle um, in Amos are parallel to each other. This little mark here just means parallel. Um, And we have this, the crimes against the needy. In chapter two, it was the women I said that. Um, we have this trio of words in each section uh, for poor. So um, the poor, the needy, and the afflicted. Those are the three words. And so those words kind of connect these two oracles. So the, the businessmen, this is what they were doing, were observing their religious rites. They were doing the temple thing, right, on Saturday or Friday or whatever it was. Um, and their, but their hearts were still figuring out ways to cheat their customers. So um, the poor will be at an end as as an extermination. Um, They're they're working at getting rid of all the poor people because they're not helping them. They're cheating them out of their their money, hard-earned money. So they they had two different ways that they were doing this. They had weights on the scales, right? So someone would bring in um, their their grain that they had harvested and they put it on the scale. And that scale, the weight of the basket of grain, the ephah is a basket of grain, um, was overstated. So less grain is given, right? Um, And then the price of the shekel is weighted lighter, so that there's more shekels are needed to pay for it. So if people are trying to buy their grain, um, they are buying less grain for more money than is fair. Um, And then the reverse is true, also, as they're trying to sell their own, the grain that they have uh, raised. So, this this is a very clear dichotomy of these business people are faithful on the Sabbath. They're following all the rites, they're doing all the rituals that they're supposed to. But the rest of the week, their religion and their faith have nothing to do with how they conduct business. They are not being just. Okay, there's no justice, there's no righteousness in this business community. And that's what Amos is charging in chapter 8. So, who is God? Amos 9, 5 through 6, this is the next section, is who is God? Um, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts. Okay, what we're seeing we have this, these hymn fragments um, in verses five and six here, um, and we have, we've seen this language elsewhere um, in the Psalms. So I have two Psalms here that speak the same language. Psalm 104, um, who looks upon the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. So we have this sense of God touching the earth. In Psalm 144, bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains that they smoke. So, this is obviously a powerful, powerful force in nature, right? God is a powerful force in nature. So, this is a, the whole section here. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile and sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundations on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me? As the Patriots declares the Lord, Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt and the Philistines from Caphtor and the Arameans from Kir? So we have this um, succinct description of Israel's understanding of who God is. God is the creator. He touches. He builds. He is the blesser. He pours rain out on the earth. And he is the deliverer. He brings Israel up from Egypt. That right there is the whole story of God's relationship with Israel, isn't it? He is the creator. He is the blesser and he is the Deliverer. But Amos is really concerned that he, it, that God is not just um, this fertility God, but that he also has um, control over history as well as natural processes, right? Um, so this is, there's these twin themes of this whole passage, at 8.11 through 9.15, is that God is the God of nature and the God of history. He's both, okay? Um, So God has control over all natures. The pastures, the mountains react when the Lord speaks. We saw that in chapter 1 of Amos. Um, He created all and can destroy it all. We've seen that throughout these visions. Um, He's responsible when crops are plentiful and when they fail. He's the blesser and he is the deliverer. So God is not just a fertility God. He acts and continues to act in the events of human history. So, it, kind of in summary of the book of Amos, there are four themes. And here we have the roaring lion because we see in um, chapter three, verse one, that God is a roaring lion. There are four themes. The first one is the sin of oppression over the weak. So we have the, we see this in the war oracles in chapters one and two. Um, God will destroy neighboring nations and Israel. God wars like a lion. in in chapter 3 and will bring an enemy. He will destroy everything in chapters 3 and 4. Amos laments the fall of the nation and and he attends this funeral banquet to lament the pride, the wealth, and the false sense of security that has pervaded the upper class. Okay, that's in chapter 6. Second theme. Useless worship. That seems a little contrary contrary doesn't it to how we see worship Um, do we ever think that it's worthless well evidently it can be Um, if our hearts are not in it um, in chapters 4 and 5 we saw that because they divide worship from the way they live um, it's useless okay it's not coming from the heart it's not because of a changed heart It's because they're just doing rituals and rites. um, That they think that that's going to give them God's favor when in fact God wants the heart. And that's a great lesson for all of us, isn't it? Right? Um, Their only hope, we saw this in chapter 4, their only hope is to seek God. Because God wants our hearts. God wants relationship third theme, visions of the end of the northern kingdom. Amos interceded to delay the judgment twice, but the second two times he was silent. And the last theme, a reminder of God's future restoration and the proclamation of salvation, even though Everything's going to be destroyed. The people, the animals, the crops, everything's going to be burned up. Right? Because the people have not been faithful. God is still faithful. God will restore and save the people. Now, I mentioned that I put this lion up here um, because, you know, God is called uh, a roaring lion in chapter 3. And I, when I was looking for this picture, I was, I was looking around. There are a lot of pictures of lions yawning. Now, how, how could I tell it was a yawn and not a roar? Well, you don't roar with your tongue out. Right? So um, this guy looks like he's actually roaring, and so I, I used this one. But it, I would like you to, I'm, your, your homework this week is to try to roar with your tongue out, okay? Um, and then the other thing is because I am Mona, um, and because I'm Mona, I have to show you my roaring lion. <laughs> uh, that's my cat, Perot um, hissing at his cousin dog, um, JC, who was just outside the door, and they don't get along. Okay, so here we have... The last thing in the book of Amos is this story about the day of restoration. I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name declares the Lord who will do these things who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from this exile. They will rebuild the vineyards, the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their homeland, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. And the Book of Amos closes with, says, the Lord your God. Isn't that a beautiful picture of restoration? We have seen in other places where they're planting vineyards, but they're not going to get to harvest the grapes. They're not going to get to drink the wine that's produced. They're planting fields, but they're not going to be able to harvest them. But here, we have this full restoration, the creation of a almost a utopia, where everything, you know, they're going to rebuild. Doesn't mean, he doesn't say, I'm going to rebuild your city, right? He's going to, like, I'm going to let you rebuild it, right? You're going to plant, but you're also going to reap the rewards. Um, so this is a beautiful oracle of salvation. And it reminds us that even though um, even this, this God who's in charge of all of creation, who's in charge of all of history, that that God cares so much about his called people, about each one of us, that he is gonna rebuild a place of safety and security, of, pl- of plenty, of hope, that's our salvation. Now I wanna tell you a little story uh, something that happened over the holiday break. Um, I, w- I was invited, my family and I, my, so my parents and my husband and I went over to our neighbor's house to help them celebrate the first night of Hanukkah. And it was a really neat time. We had latkes and, and you know, they lit the candles and sang the, the songs and, and they um, we played some dreidel, which was really fun because my mother is absolutely opposed to gambling of any sort. And so we're sitting there playing dreidel and gambling over coins of uh, chocolate. And, um, and it was really, we had a really, really fun time. And one of the little girls that, in my neighbor's family, um, they have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and one of the little girls made me my very own Torah. And, and you can't see this, but I'm going to unroll it. Um, and it says in the Torah, and I believe this is what all of Scripture is telling us, I love you. <laughs> so from Zahava, my neighbor, um, God says, I love you. And that's the story in the whole Torah, it's the story in the whole testament, it's the story in the New Testament. I love you. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have given us the words of the prophet Amos. That you have given us this treasure. It's hard to understand sometimes. There's a lot of stuff that goes in there that, that we just don't make can't make sense at Lord, but you know that what Amos was saying to each one of us, to the people there then and the people now, I love you. God loves you. And all he wants is your heart. If we are living in you, Jesus, we know that justice and righteousness will come as second nature so lord help us to live in you and all god's people said together amen